We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a the best way to thank a podcast member who steps in and fills in for you as host sack him on the next episode this is the arsenal vision post-match podcast my name is elliot smith you can block me on twitter yankee gunner that's right paul did such a nice job filling in i couldn't be more thankful and so he has been sacked relieved of his duties he is no longer needed here uh as a result we have tim and clive instead tim's on twitter at stoberto hello tim hello there clive's on twitter at clive pafc hello clive Hello, hello. Yeah, no, I mean, Paul's not been permanently sacked. Uh, he just couldn't make it for this episode, but really he's been sacked. No, I, I thought he did a great job, and, and I appreciate him filling in. And I just want to say thank you to the literally twos of you who expressed that you missed me on the last episode. <clears throat> so to the two of you who did that, mom, dad, thanks so much. Yeah, not the outpouring uh, of, of expression of, of loss and absence that I, I might have hoped for. But you know what? That just means that we have a great podcast that's very interchangeable, and I should be super happy about that, and I'm not. Uh, in any event, not much else to get to. We're going to talk uh, Arsenal 3, Everton 2. I'll let you know that we have a Patreon pod scheduled for tomorrow, working on a neat little concept for that, so more about that anon. And, uh, of course, we'll have another podcast later this week after the second leg against Olympiacos. But let's dive into Everton. And, Tim, I think, you know, look, I am not one to hide... Uh, hide my opinions. I, I got on the old Twitters when I saw the lineup and I expressed some concern about Eddie Nketiah starting, but I think Nketiah was uh, good. I think his performance was encouraging. Uh, if you get my, my little pun there that I'm trying to do, encouraging. Um, but you know what? Overall, I think the the lineup change that obviously was having the bigger impact on the start of the game was Kolasinac coming in for Saka. Um, mm. You know, and 
I think a lot of people were disappointed to see that change and it didn't take long for that change to have an impact with the, the goal they scored. But I also think with an 18-year-old, you just can't play him twice a week, every week for the rest of the season. That's not viable. And we saw in the second half of this game, I think, that he he could have used the rest. So for you, I mean, those are the really two big talking points when it comes to the lineup. Did you have any issues with either of those decisions? Uh, no, not at all. Um, but, well, so the the class match one, no, not at all for the reasons you outlined. Saka probably needed a breather, and I think we saw that in the mm-hmm. second half, really. Um, and and I took that as a you know as a rotation rather than a dropping, um, as it were. The Inketia one, I was actually quite surprised by, given the fact that Lacazette um, has scored in the last two games, and I wasn't a hundred percent sure about it. Um, but you know, we 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 were just having a, a discussion off air, weren't we, about um, the, like uh, the, the value of that role in in Arteta's front line? That actually the the centre forward role, as we've seen it under Arteta, in that whole kind of you know filling up five lanes of the attacking lanes, that the central one's the really unglamorous role. And so far, what we've seen is that Arteta thinks that only Lacazette and Nketiah can do that. He doesn't want Aubameyang doing it. He doesn't want Martinelli doing it. Um, And that's because the whole system is set up for the inside left, uh, which is where Aubameyang plays and where Martinelli played when Aubameyang was suspended. So everything is geared towards getting that inside left into goal-scoring positions. So so in Ketia's role, we have to judge it um, almost in the kind of Danny Welbeck, Emil Heskey kind of, you know, get through your work. And if you can score a goal as well, that's uh, probably more than a bonus when you're a centre forward. I don't think you can quite say it's just a bonus, but um, it's kind of not the only part of the job. Really, it's the inside. It's the Abamyang slash Martinelli. That's the one where you think you've got to score because everything is being set up for you. And and we know by now that that is just not an issue for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. So Nketiah in, in is someone who um, I, I've thought is perhaps, you know, someone I've just thought maybe he's just not going to quite come up to the level um, at Arsenal. This game, I think probably more than any other game he played was the one that made me think, okay, maybe there's something interesting um, here and it's it's not just because of the goal although the goal is a wonderful one um, it's it's a really really good finish I think that's quite an underrated goal actually the way he finishes that off um, very reminiscent of uh, Thierry Henry's last goal for Arsenal if anyone remembers that um, mm. up at Sunderland Arshavin puts the cross in and kind of he opens his body out mid-air um, so it's, it's a lovely finish from Nketiah and actually that that's one side of his game we know he can do that um, whether he can do that at Arsenal's level regularly, we, we you know we kind of wait and see. But we know that at some level, that that's what Inketia is. He's he's a decent finisher. He has a decent eye for goal in the six-yard box. Had a very good scoring record at Leeds, but there was something about him that Leeds did didn't want him to that Bielsa didn't want him to start. So actually, it's a big show of faith in him from Arteta to basically say almost the opposite of of Bielsa and say, well, okay, I'm not. I'm not really putting you in as the main goal threat. I'm putting you in because I think you can do that spade work. Um, and, and I thought he did it. Uh, like I said, even irregardless of the goal, I thought he did it really well. Mm. And that was a side of his game that I wasn't really sure he had, um, to be quite honest. Um, I, I thought of him as, well, he's he's a goal scorer, he's a sniffer, but um, is he 
like a sniffer at the level where you know you know at Arsenal's level I guess that was that was the kind of that was the thing and and I think what's really interesting here with Nketiah he's essentially on trial till the end of the season right because we sent him out on loan and then Arteta decided to keep him and what could be really interesting is if he can be the backup for that position that's actually really, really valuable. When you look at the biggest wastes of money in the top, across the top six over the last five or six years, it's that backup striker. Everyone struggles for that. Like, look at look at the money Tottenham have spent on the likes of Soldado and Vincent Janssen, and Liverpool wasted loads of money on Balotelli, and we wasted seventeen million on Lucas Perez, and Man City wasted thirty million on Wilfred Boney. That it's difficult. It's difficult to fill that position. And I, I, if, I think you need to at least mention what Manchester United just did in January as well with Odion well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It, Igalo and and actually interesting. I was having a conversation um, with someone on, on Twitter today that you'd have loved, Elliot. Where I kind of said, I think Giroud is more suited to Arsenal now than he ever was when we actually had him, because um, I could really see him in that role, you know, and particularly with the focus on delivery from the left. But let's Strong, not wrong. No that. comments. <laughs> because 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 it, it's not going to happen, and nor should it happen. But I, I, I and so. Like getting back to Enketia, if if he can do that and he can be that kind of rotation backup option, I mean, he really could save Arsenal quite a lot of money. And it's it's just something with it's almost like a scouting blind spot. And if Liverpool ever lost Firmino for um for any length of time, like we'd really see how good Divock Origi was as well, for example. So mm. I thought it was really interesting. This is the first time I came away thinking. Yeah, I think Nketiah played well um, today. Um, so, yeah, I, I I hope to see more of that. Yeah, I think it is interesting because it's not a case where, like, Lacazette started in midweek and Nketiah is starting at the weekend. These are two Premier League games Nketiah has been handed where Lacazette did not start in the intervening game. Um, I mean, I know he came on against Olympiacos. He didn't start against Olympiacos, right? I'm not—am I having a brainwave? Yeah, no, he didn't. No. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There he did. Okay, it yeah. was Newcastle he didn't stop. That's Yeah, right. So so in other words, I mean, it is, it is a fairly straightforward rotation. And to be fair, you could say that Lacazette was given arguably the more important game. But, you know, trusting Nketiah in back-to-back uh, consecutive Premier League games is is a strong show of faith. And Clive, <clears throat> I mean, I don't want to spend the whole pot on Nketiah because we, we've sort of gone deeper on him than maybe I intended right from the start. But the one thing I will say is, look, if you ask any Arsenal fan, what are the strengths and weaknesses of Granite Xhaka? I mean, they could describe it with extreme granularity and depth of detail. Ask them that about, you know, any of the first-team players. It's pretty straightforward. But anyone who says they know exactly what Nketiah is at this stage of his career is lying. I mean, you're projecting based on his age and amount of playing time and performances in spot availability on loan and for the first team. But that doesn't mean you know who he is and what he's going to become. And so if Mikel Arteta was that wowed by him in January that he wanted to keep him and has been wowed by him enough to start him in consecutive Premier League games, then maybe, even if we have biases, and I will admit that mine has been, like Tim expressed, not quite sure he's going to make it at Arsenal level, but maybe given how little we really know about him and how much faith Arteta clearly has in him, and Arteta's been around some of the best players in the world for the past couple of seasons, that maybe we just need to give him the benefit of the doubt for a little while. Yeah, what you need to do is probably just think about how he's being used and how the team is playing. So so what's changed since Arteta's come along? I'm not going to go through everything because so much has changed. 
But what has changed is we're defending more as a, as a team from the front. And he's as good as any from a front-pressing perspective. He's really sprinty, he works very hard. And he's probably, you know, he's very, very sharp in the box. So I thought about this. I thought, well, why are we playing Lacazette away and playing in Ketir at home? I thought, well, actually, that makes a lot of sense. You've got a young kid, settle him down at home, right, where he's in surroundings. Also, settle him down where we're going to be in the box a bit more because he can then show his talent. He's a box striker. We're going to be in the box at home. We need a bit more experience and and manliness away from home. And I think that little rotation, I didn't agree with it initially, and I thought it through and thought, that's really smart. You're getting the most out of this player. And I, no doubt if Classic didn't get injured, I think Lacazette would have come on, and um, it may be able to come on for him later in the game. Three games, seven days, nicely shared. right? Nicely shared, rotated, mm-hmm. energy. We'd have got Lacazette's energy for late in the game, or we may have broke the game open. So we were, we were maybe robbed of that decision-making. But... I think it's a smart thing. It's a smart usage of resources. And the freshness of our front four, three, is going to be very important. And the way we work them, I just think, Teta just said, I'm going to need him at some point. Someone's going to slow down, break down. I need to have that freshness. If I want to make sure we are intense, then it has to start from the top boys at the front. And I think it's been a noticeable change in how we defend collectively. And I think it starts with those. And mm. it's a fair play to him. He fits the mould of that type of striker and I do agree Tim that that role is not spectacular fine enough there was a guy on the Everton's team I think would be perfect for that role in Calvary Lewin I think he'd be brilliant in that role I think he works hard and I think he's fantastic in the air and he's a type of hard working unspectacular nine that would sit beautifully in the middle of our five channels yeah well then the other key lineup decision starting Kolasinac I mean it didn't last long and I don't want to pile on Kola because Obviously, I mean, he's going to be out for a while now, and it looked like he suffered a pretty bad arm injury in addition to being concussed from what it looked like to me. Uh, I'm no doctor, but I'm more than happy to say that it, you know, it didn't look great. And, you know, unfortunately for Kolasinac, it hadn't been going great before that happened. I think we're in a bit of a tough spot here, Clive, and I'm curious to know how you think Arteta can handle this because Saka is a phenomenal player. He is an important part of what we are doing uh, in terms of the way we want to build play, right? With playing more like a wing back with that overload, allowing Aubameyang yeah. to get closer to goal. We we all we've discussed that at length. But now he's got a situation where Tierney's out and Kolasinac is out, and Saka's really the only guy who's played in that position. How damaging could this be potentially? In that it may force him to overplay Saka. Do you think someone like Cedric might come in and play there? What solution do you think Arteta has now for for managing the left back spot? Yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about that so deeply. I think when he came, when when Classic came off, I'm thinking, well, you know what, I'm already upset with you for costing us the first goal and getting pushed deep. So I'm not actually thinking about your general health at this moment in time because when he did that, he sort of took us back to last year, last year dozy defending. Mm-hmm. So I, I I just wanted rid of that. So, um, but now when you think about it, the, the one area of not just the one area, but the major thing we can all see with Saka is we can all see his talent, his ability to arrive, cross, blah, 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 all the rest of it. He's got silk in his boots on assists. But we can all see in many games, he struggles fitness-wise. He struggles. He's still developing. He's still young. And, you know, the Chelsea game, he could barely run at the end. And you saw in this game when he hit a wall physically, I mean, he, he couldn't pass water. So it was just he just hit a wall. And and that's he's just still developing. So you make a great point. And it'd be interesting to see how he does get out of it. 
I mean, we have got a player called Maitland Niles that plays out there for quite a while. We have got a player, you know, Shaq has also played in that role. I know it's a different role now. Maybe he could he could flip it to the other side, make it a bit more of a right-sided bias team. But it's going to be interesting. And there's no way this kid can keep going. We need to look after him. We really do. We can't keep playing him. Do you think Cedric would be the answer? I mean, we, we have no idea he, when he's going to come in and, and what he's going to look like. But presumably, Saka will not play every game. So... Do you think Cedric might yeah, be the guy to, to do it? Well, he may be. I know he plays both sides, but I just haven't seen enough of him on the left side, to be honest, Elliot. I haven't seen enough. I just, I've seen him right side, and, he, and he's a decent player. But to come into a new club, new team, on your own foot, that's a big ask. He's not a kid, I get it. But What about saying outside the just, box, doing like with Nelson, what he's done with Sack? You know, taking a younger wide player and using him out there. I mean, he clearly rated yeah, Nelson before life. he got injured. It's a good idea. I think it's all open. I think that at the moment, I notice it's very much in this game. I don't know if, Tim, you called it in the stadium, but it's almost like the team is working in zones. They almost know when somebody comes out of a zone, someone else runs into that zone. But they know exactly where they need to be in possession and out of possession. You see them pointing, get back in there, pointing to the next pass, pointing to the pattern. Whatever comes in, I think they're going to understand the role that's required, and that, and so to me, we can we can always judge the performance, but understanding what what we're seeing, the players understanding what's required, and everyone working to a common goal and pattern is more important. And I think the pattern is being set in what we do. The quality may change with a different person delivering. We may have to deliver off the right foot, etc. We may have to underlap a little bit more. But I do think there's a collective understanding and clarity of playing style. I think where whoever comes in, I think they'll be able to adapt up to a certain point. Yeah, I, I would I would certainly hope so. And I think you raise an interesting point, though, which is if Saka becomes a, a player who we want to pick and choose where we use him in the games where we go with another solution, do we flip the bias to the right side and emphasize uh, Pepe and Bellerin a little more with Bellerin overlapping and the, the left-sided fullback, sometimes referred to as the left-back, uh, in football, <laughs> maybe uh, playing a little more of that inside role that, that Bellerin's played. So, Tim, I mean, look, I, I cannot possibly explain what was going on in Kolasi Natch's head the way he defended that set piece. And I, I think there were some weak jumps from the center backs, and I thought Leno could do better. But at the end of the day, the response the team showed was excellent. And I, I almost wonder if it was helpful to us going down a goal early because the funny thing is we played – we played a little more in the first half against Everton after going down a goal like we did against Newcastle in that second half. I thought it was one of the best halves we've had under Arteta in terms of in-possession, building play, uh, moving through the thirds, playing out from the press. I was really impressed by it. And <clears throat> I think the player who we have to just immediately praise because we've kind of gotten to the point where we just expect him to be good and so we don't spend a lot of the podcast on him. I think we have to spend some time on Aubameyang. Um, it could be his final yeah. season at Arsenal. He is probably going to go down as the best player to play for Arsenal in the modern era while the team was complete shit. <laughs> um, but yeah. but he deserves the credit. I thought this was a captain's performance front to back. Like he, he tracked back. He was making tackles and winning the ball back. He was putting in crosses. He was getting on the end of moves. He was making incredible runs. For that, for the first goal he scores, 
he does a, the tip, the classical thing you hear people say, like one run for the defender, one run for himself, right? So he mm. he runs to close the space to the defender, runs at him. That keeps him on side and sort of conceals the movement. And then the second run is in behind. Louise finds him brilliantly, but that finish, that that's a Thierry Henry goal all over. And mm. I, I just thought that this, in terms of application, from a guy who plays every game, um, every minute of every game, uh, right down to execution, yeah. I mean, his class was really the difference in this one for me. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I'm sorry, yeah, I know there wasn't I mean, a question at the end of that. I just no, no, no. <laughs> it's your turn to praise him now. But but, um, but if you look at the xG um, for this game, right, and you look at the big chances, I mean, Ever- Everton outdid us on xG. I, th- I think felt like by more than a goal. Um, which you know, given that xG is made up of fractions, effectively, that's that's fairly significant. Yeah. Um, and you know, Dominic Calvert Lewin had three big chances and scored one of them, and. Um, Aubameyang had two big chances and scored both. Um, I, I think what's interesting, actually, as well, uh, like you say, it, it's kind of almost difficult <laughs> to talk about him because he's so he's just so consistent, um, and you know, f- and that's that's as well, not just goal scoring, but physically consistent, available. Like you say, he's never subbed. Um, but I actually think something that has changed a little bit this year, um, maybe it's my imagination and the numbers don't bear this out. I think he's become more clinical because I, I just, I don't remember. Do you remember last season? Like he scored a lot of goals, but he missed a lot of sitters. The whole narrative I, around him for a while, right up through the missed penalty against Spurs was, uh, you know, this yeah. Aubameyang guy is a serial misser. I mean, if you remember, he had the big missed chances yeah, against yeah. Chelsea early in the season too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and it was kind of true. It was just the, the, the counter argument was, well, yeah, because he just gets loads of chances because his movement's so good. But I, I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm imagining it and someone will tell me that the data doesn't bear this out. But I, I feel like he's been converting um, pretty much constantly this season. And, and that that's that's kind of gone. And, you know, now we're getting um, we're getting some headed goals from him as well. And, you know, the headers he scored a lot of them not just about movement, but that kind of physical desire. Um, and, and the thing is about Aubameyang as well, like I, I remember someone, I can't remember who it was, it was a defender who played in the Premier League and this was about 2002 and he was on soccer, uh, like uh, goals on Sunday or something and Omri had scored a couple of goals that weekend like he always did. And uh, this, I think it might have been Chris Powell um, it was a left back and they were, and Chris Powell, who's now become a really good coach. Um, he was talking about like playing against Henri and that, you know, that kind of corridor he plays in between where he's not like, not really a center forward and not really a left winger, but operates in that half space. But one of the things he said that really stuck with me, and I think this about Aubameyang, he said, like, if you were building a footballer in a lab, he'd look like Henri because mm. like he's tall, he's, but he's not so tall that he's awkward he's lean but he's not so muscular like, like Kolasinac right gets injured quite a lot and I wonder if body mass is a part of that because he's just so muscular and you know what they say the bigger they are the harder they fall and that's kind of exactly how he got his injury he twists ankles a lot and and you know you get players like that there's, there's just so much natural bulk there but you know like a player like Aubameyang but you know built very similarly to Henri just that tall but not too tall lean but not not like too muscular, but not too skinny. And, and again, yeah, just to borrow that phrase, if you were particularly a striker, if you were making a striker in a lab, he'd probably look like a Bamiyang. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of that physical prowess he's got. And 
and and it, and, it, and it just bears out in just how available um, he is as well. And, and he, he is absolutely the difference maker in this game. And, uh, and, and, and that, that's such an obvious point. But I, th- I think what I'd possibly say in closing there is look at how... And, and so part of this is just because Everton play Richarlison kind of off that left side um, as a second striker. And that's where a lot of their play naturally goes. But look at how exposed we looked on that side where perhaps Pepe doesn't really get back and help Bellerin out. And there's there's lots of space there. And look at what Everton did down the right side. You know, um, not very much. Mm. And that that's a testament to how well Aubameyang protected first Kalasanac and then Saka because that's on paper that's not like that's not a defensive pairing um you know Kalasanac slash Saka and Abamyang that is that's a side you'd look at if you were the opposition manager and go oh go down there go mm-hmm. down there because there'll be spaces <clears throat> there weren't there weren't any spaces and particularly when I looked to that kind of last 15 minutes or so, you know, Aubameyang was just was so present defensively and he was really working back and he was double teaming and, 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 and then, but then he had something on the counter um, as well. And he, he really offered that threat. And, and sometimes that's just as important defensively that you push forward and that you, you know, you just don't let teams sit in front of you. And uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was an absolutely terrific game um, from Aubameyang. And I'll back you up with statistics because I, I want you to know that your suspicion is absolutely correct. Last season, Aubameyang scored 22 league goals on 23.55 XG, according to Understat, so he slightly underperformed his XG. This season so far, 17 league goals on just 12.1 XG, so massively uh, outperforming his XG, which you know at, at least suggests that... Um, he's doing an exceptional job taking his chances, which... Can I, um, yeah, can I also just... Sorry, make, make it like a, a, a really quick point on the Please, defending yeah. of set pieces because, um, I, you know, I, I don't know if we'll go into much more detail on this, but just, I suppose, a bit of intel because we didn't defend them well. You can see Kolasinac plays everyone on side. You can see for the second goal, players don't push out. Um, Yeri Mina, the Everton centre-half, like... Fuck knows why Everton haven't have just have not unlocked his potential from set pieces. When Yeri Mina played for Palmeiras in his uh, final season, there he scored eleven goals, I think, wow. from from corners from set pieces. He is a prolific goal scorer and a prolific threat from corners, and I really don't understand how Everton haven't unlocked this more. Um, and and I wonder if Arteta knew that because that's who Kalasanac is grappling with um, when that first free kick comes in. And when the second goal happens, I wonder if maybe they were a bit scared of him and maybe justifiably so. And it changed some of their actions in panic moments. Yeah, it's possible. I also thought that Louise had one of his weaker games under Arteta and was doing some of the stuff that... that um... Clive had criticized him for earlier this season, just playing too deep and too slow yeah. to pu- push out. So we'll we'll come to that when we get to the second half and, and how the whole team sort of slumped. And I think there was definitely just a, a loss of energy factor to that too. But Clive, I really did think in buildup, this, this was one of our better performances in the first half. And I think Arteta has really found something here with Shaka, Ceballos, and Ozil together um, in ball progression. We did a brilliant job playing out from their press when they tried to press us. The The Aubameyang goal comes from a Louise pass, but before Louise gets a chance to make that pass, they press us pretty aggressively, pretty deep, and we just pinged it around 
between everybody at the back and and played our way out until Luis was able to stride forward and, and make that pass. And it had sort of pushed Everton up into the position where Aubameyang then had that last shoulder to run off. So, I mean, were you as impressed with our buildup in the first half? And were there any players in particular that you had your eye on in, in terms of why that worked so well? Yeah, I, I sort of touched it briefly. I, I was very impressed in just how we moved the ball around. And when the ball went to certain players, I didn't think there was a limit to their layers of passing. So if we had to fizz it short, we could. If you had to switch play, we know that Tobias and Shaffer can do that. Ozil can do that. Ozil did one beautiful one, might be the second half, where he just smacked that ball from one side of the pitch to the other. Everton played like a, a, a quite a narrow 4-4-2, so that was the thing. Keep moved him around. I felt we got a bit overly comfortable in our build-up, and we sort of played, particularly, you know, we sort of played 3-0 football a little bit, see what I mean? And I think we didn't quite take advantage of our good well, possession. Did, wasn't there that one moment, Clive, where we were sort of on the counterattack and the ball came to Ozil and he just stopped? <laughs> just sort of yeah. stood still like it was so, like the game was over, we had it won. It was just crazy. Yeah, I thought I thought someone was injured, right? So he <laughs> the weird. ball comes to him and he kills it dead. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a good touch. Okay, no one's pressing him because someone must be down or must be a streaker on the pitch or something like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then and then and it was just but it it was also showed a level of arrogance and control and technique and Everton thought you know what I'm sick of running about here they'll be coming demoralised at that stage and that is a, that is another way to defend you know just by keeping the ball so obviously we're, we're fans and we're watching the scoreboards so we have nerves we don't mind that at two goals advised but not at, not at 3-2 or not at 2-1 and, and so but it was nice I do I really felt it we all know the shape now we all know the patterns we all know where they're going to stand and particularly us guys, you know, who are looking at it closely and have a talk about it. But I really saw it, and I saw a bit of rotation. I saw people running a shaka made one burst into the box, and people stood in for him. Um, you know, I saw Enketia and and Pepe swap over in the second half just for a few brief minutes. So when Pepe came inside, Enketia automatically went out to the right wing, and so they're definitely playing zone football. They really know the shape. They know the what the quilt should look like and they know their roles within it and then they if someone empties they refill and that means you start to talk about the thing that Paul always talk about those automisms I can't say that word automatisms that's the one that's the one that's the one I call it pattern play but you can see that automatically they know where each other are and I think it's making us more efficient and what it's now doing is the ball moves quicker because if you know where someone is you know it's two touches at max it's one two touch no one's talking about holding them to ball too long. It's pop, 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 and it all looks really nice and collective. And I do think, I must admit, I thought Tobias was dead. Um, but he has come back, and he looks completely on side with this. And he's opened up, particularly at home, he's opened up another avenue of play to allow us to reach different parts of the pitch really efficiently and he's done very very well last couple of games yeah and i mean i think as we get more comfortable in the arteta system i think that one of the players that to me looks like he's really thriving is ozil in that he he's finding the space and moving across the front line if you look at his pass maps from the beginning of the arteta era they were very much on the right side now he's switching sides more frequently and supporting both flanks doing a little more of the stuff that he did under Wenger, um, you know, finding those spaces between the lines to combine with the front three. Um, I thought he did some great work on the right, 
providing extra width so Pepe could get isolated. Um, it happens for Pepe's. Pepe does a, a great job delivering the ball to Aubameyang for headed goals. All he does now is score with his head, obviously, um, because Clive mentioned it a couple podcasts ago. But yeah. so, yeah, it, it was all very encouraging. And then, look, I I think the team looked tired. You know, he was rotating for a reason. Saka looked pretty shattered in the second half to me. Uh, we touched on that. They really did have the better of it in the second half. And while I don't think we were dominated, towards the end they were creating chance after chance. And one of the players, Tim, that I think has come under scrutiny for this is Hector Bellerin because it was his flank that got exposed quite a lot. Um, mm. I mean, the extent to which they were able to just hit the ball long in the their left flank, our, you know, our right defensive flank to Richarlison and have him cut the ball across to Calvert-Lewin for good chances was discouraging. But there are two points I want to make about this. First of all, I think in Arteta's system, if you're not going to get exposed by the long ball, the onus is on the front players to close it down. I think Arteta was critical. Was it the Burnley game where he said we didn't do a good enough job? And I think it was actually Adrian Clark who pointed out in the breakdown too of shutting down the long ball, right? Of, of pressing the first passer. And when you don't do that in this system, I think those long balls are on. The other thing is criticizing Bellerin. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he was great in this game. And I think you see that he's still working his way back and he got beat a few times again. But the way he's playing, sort of tucked in and, and contributing... Um, in that almost like a midfield line, the space behind him by design is going to naturally be exposed. And Tim, we talked about this two podcasts ago, how coaches have started to see Arteta's system now. And Ancelotti is not a fool. I mean, he's an experienced manager. I'm sure he would have said, you know, Rashadlison, there's going to be room in behind Bellerin who's pushing up and tucking in, you know, and, and you're going to be isolated more on someone like Mustafi. We're going to hit it long to you. I mean, do you, do you think Bellerin was really poor? Or do you think some of this is the system getting a little bit exposed where it's weak? Yeah, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of that. That's how Everton play. Um, I'd urge anyone to go back and watch. I think I'm right in saying the last goal they scored before the break against Crystal Palace. And it's Richarlison powering down the left-hand side and, and cutting in. Um, that That's where their power is. That That's who they're kind of... Um, you know, Richarlison's their their most dangerous player and their best player. So that that's something they kind of do naturally anyway. Uh, like I said earlier, I think that's partly um, just part of the deal you do when you play Pepe as well. You're, you're not going to you're not going to get the doggies uh, going back, and and you're not going to get him kind of really shutting down the long ball, mm. um, as you put it. Um, I think you're right. I think there's also the issue that Bellerin is is you know tucking in, and yeah, and so so there's a bit of a gap there. I, and I also think that. Um, with Bellerin as well, there's there's the additional and probably the most significant thing here is that we're like, I think people, I think we we really have to change the expectations here just of people coming back from ACLs in general. Um, I, I'd really urge people to uh, read a piece that James McNicholas wrote about this in The Athletic um, where, it, where he spoke to a few players, you know, coming back from ACLs. I've spoken to a few players in the women's team around this. Um, after you come back, you can basically add on another year before you see the best of that player. Um, I, I spoke to Jordan Nobbs about precisely this um, the other week, and she's uh, six months back now. And she she said to me, "I'm I'm basically at my average level now. That that's how long it's taken me to get to my like seven out of ten level. And it will be another few months, and probably next season before I'm at my." My 10 out of 10 mm. and it's going to be the same for Bellerin look at holding who um actually did his acl uh earlier 
than Bellerin. He did it a month earlier. And at the moment, he's got fitness issues, so he can't even be in the squad at the moment. He's playing 45 minutes for the under-23s. People have to realise that when you come back from an ACL, your comeback is not, that's not the comeback. And it's not two or three games either. Because I think people are savvy enough to say, oh yeah, well, you know, they won't be back straight away. But then like within three weeks, it's like, right, come on, where are they? Oh no, they're finished, they're crap. You know, it, it takes a long time to get that rhythm back, to get that confidence back in your body, um, to get your speed back, to get your, you know, your explosiveness back. It all takes a long time to come back. And I think people really, really have to understand this. Otherwise, um, they're going to be disappointed and they're going to be unhappy for a start. And I'm sure, well, I'm sure there are a lot of people who do want to be unhappy, but most of us don't want to be unhappy. And, and, <laughs> And we need to be fair on the players. So people have to get out of their heads that after two or three games or a month or whatever, that you're kind of fight. You're not after an ACL. It's, it's still a big injury. This in, you know, in my lifetime, this was considered a borderline career ender. Um, and it's not anymore, but it's still significant. It still kind of slices two years um, out, out of your career. So I think there's really that element as well. And and there's other stuff that just plays into it, like Pepe not really helping out and Bellerin tucking in and Everton naturally hitting that side anyway. Um, because don't get me wrong, I, I agree. I think Bellerin still looks rusty. I still think he looks below his level. Um, but I, I completely expect that. And if he gets anywhere near um, back to his top level before the end of the season, I'd be astonished. Um and, you know, I, I'd really like, um, I really wish that I had some influence on managing like expectations around players with this because I think it's important. I think we have to be a bit more sensible. Yeah. And look, I mean, I think fullback is a really tough position to play in the Premier League these days because you've got a lot of attacking responsibility, wingers and fullbacks are exceptional attacking players these days. When you're going up with someone who's a basically a world-class sprinter like St. Maxime one, one week, and then Richarlison, who is a, an extraordinary player the next week, and you're being asked to sort of be in the attacking midfield in possession, uh, you know, almost in a central position, and then somehow cover the flanks. Like, it's a lot to ask. And, I mean, you see what we're doing with Saka to protect him. We've got Shaka tucking into that left side a little more, and he, he's given a little more freedom. The right side, naturally, because of the way we tilt and overload left, there's going to be a little bit more space in our right flank behind behind Bellerin. So, Clive, I mean, I want to talk about the back line in general because I think as great as Aubameyang was, as nice as it was to see um, Enkedia score, I think some of the more interesting issues in this game do come from the back line. We touched on the Saka one a little bit. We've been discussing Bellerin. I think Louise maybe took a step back in this game while Mustafi sort of continues the Mustafasance, the Renaissance, Mustafa, Mustafasance. And, and Leno, you know, once again, proving that I think we have an exceptional keeper on our hands despite maybe being a little weak for one of their goals. So, um, I'll give you a bit of a free swim, but maybe you can just follow up on the on the Bellerin discussion. Then we can talk a little about the center backs. Yeah, so I think I think in this game when Gomez came on, he's obviously a, he's got a good searching diagonal into that channel, and the the natural movement for a right footer is to switch it to the left side, and so that was a natural space to go. And, and as a fullback, what you what you need to do, I know he wasn't always in position; he was slightly higher. He has to think about his starting position, and he also has to start travelling as he sees 
ball get onto the back foot of the of Gomez, he has to recognise a little bit sooner that he needs to drop in. So he was a little bit slow, and I think where you know, obviously Mustafi, who, who's also played at fullback, he's very comfortable running out into wide areas on the right hand side. But Richardson very quick, right? So it was, it was a challenge for Mustafi. He done a great job on protecting that hole in behind, but. He got done on a few occasions, and I, and I felt there was like a we lacked a bit of power there. And I thought Arteta recognised it. He could change the fullback situation, but he could change Ozil's situation by bringing on Guendouzi. He thought oh, I need to get some activity up front and press to and press to source. Try to stake away the diagonals. It's quite hard to do because they they stretched us out the back, brought Bernard on the right hand side, kept a central pivot in Calvert Lewin, and then force. Um, Richardson to the left-hand side and just started pinging the balls in behind and, and just turned us around. Just turned us around. So, basically, that was what they did. I felt, as a unit, I felt we, 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 we played the scoreboard. I think we got a little bit deeper. We did, as they were setting things off corners, our restarts, again, not great. The Calvert-Lewin chance at the end, that's a bad one. We weren't looking on the corner again. We have to be sharp when the ball goes out of play because we keep conceding off restarts. So that's that's something we have to work on. When the ball gets set back, we have to come out more aggressively. But you have to think about this. You know, They had Holgate, Mina, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison. These guys are excellent in the air, really excellent. And when you see them coming... And they're bigger than you, and they're fast, and they're and they're they're charging at the ball. Your natural tendency is to step back. I thought Leonard did it on the goal. Louise did it in, in in the box, and it's a natural thing. It's just a natural thing. And they and then you need somebody to Tony Adams like to drag us out, get us to the edge of the area, hold that line, because if they couldn't get into our box, they weren't gonna they weren't gonna do anything from outside the box. So it was just the the fatigue, the the pressure of the scoreboard that I felt drove us back in, into our hole a little bit. But again, defensively, they're, they're all stepping up, aren't they? I, I can't I can't sort of stress enough. The collectiveness of our defensive work was excellent. And Arteta's spoken about enjoying defending and enjoying suffering. And that game was an epitome of, of enjoying defending and enjoying suffering. And the team came through it as a unit. We got the result. I think you can have a significant difference to how we go go forward I think once you do that you suffer you tend to bond closer and the results tend to follow yeah I mean I I mean I think that there's we've we've, we've come so far under Arteta in a way Clive that there's this tendency when things aren't perfect to be upset about it like oh we won 3-2 the defending was crap we were crap defending set piece like this was a team that couldn't win a game couldn't play well couldn't control a game couldn't do anything and now we're, you know, three wins on the spin, three wins on the bounce, on the trot in a row, however you say that, whatever your your um you know way of way of saying the trot. Yeah, all right, that's the one. Um, you know, and, and we're sort of nitpicking it, but also I, I think it's important to remember that it is very difficult to go away in Europe and then come home and win at the weekend. Um and you know, we did that and we scored three goals. And uh if it wasn't for just a you know, sort of a little bit of calamitous defending on set pieces, you know, by and large, I think we did okay. Look, there were a few instances where I thought Calvert-Lewin was running across our box and Louise just did not get tight enough to him, did not, was not alive to the run, didn't track the run properly. There were a couple times, too, where he didn't step out. I think it's their second goal where Louise doesn't push out 
after the after the first ball mm. and and plays everybody on side. It, it looks like it's Bellerin because after the ball comes back in, Bellerin drops onto the line. But it's Louise they're who does. Yeah, they're both dropping, but Bellerin isn't playing everyone on side, and, and I think it's Louise who does. So, you know, look to be fair to Louise, he's been mostly brilliant, um, and he did have an assist in this game. Um, I think we should touch on Leno though, Tim, because. All right, maybe he's weak for one of the goals, but we don't get this win mm. without him. And when you look at, you know, Chelsea basically playing a, paying a world record fee for the worst keeper in the Premier League, um, keepers are hard to scout. It can go wrong really, really easily. And, you know, while we're all patting the club on the back for fines like Martinelli, which obviously is spectacular, and Ganduzi and, you know, some of the other good players we, we've picked up at reasonable prices, Torreira, for example, I think the Leno signing has been an important one. And, and for a club that has had a lot of uncertainty at the goalkeeping position for many, many years now, it really does feel like we have a guy who maybe won't ever be the best in the league and maybe his distribution isn't perfect, but he's looking so much more comfortable now. And, and I think he's a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, the, like you say, we've had um, we've had a lot, a lot of kind of uh, arguments and debates um, and everything else about the goalkeeping position. Um, we don't have that. No, nobody, nobody um, feels uncomfortable uh, with Leno in goal. His discuss- his position has not been under discussion at any point since he came into the team. Um, and uh, look, if I'm being honest, in the summer, I'd I'd, I'd like us to find someone who changes that. Um, perhaps I'd like to perhaps find someone just to start as a number two, maybe. I mean, a bit like Leno himself, right? Because he came mm. in when Petr Cech was here and established an albeit at the end of his career. Um, maybe I'd like someone who I think could really push Leno, but, um, you know, that, that old saying, you can only beat what's put in front of you. Um, yeah, and and Leno, he he just doesn't he doesn't cause um, he doesn't cause anyone any heart attacks, does he? Um, he doesn't. He, he doesn't you don't feel like there's a massive mistake in there in the making and then you know look of course he's made a couple this season but i think i don't think there's a goalkeeper that hasn't um that hasn't made one or two and yeah i i agree i thought on the on the second goal i thought he was quite weak i thought he was a bit afraid of getting a whack um perhaps but you know um let's just say his account is very in credit after this game, and and actually, I thought, um, you know, he has that brilliant close-range save from Calvert Lewin, where he does everything you want a goalkeeper to do, and just makes himself big. And you know, like the way he even puts his arms out, like he tilts one up in the air, and he, you know, just absolute maximum coverage. Mm. But for me, the the intervention I loved the most was when he when he came off his line. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, way the hell out, like like twenty yeah. twenty five yards out of his goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When Bellerin, like, because I was looking at that in the stadium, and I was thinking, oh, I don't think Bellerin's getting that. And to anticipate that, um, you know, it would have been very, very easy. I mean, he'd have been totally blameless had he not come off his line. And that goes through to Richarlison or wherever it was going, and he goes and slots it. But you know, it would have been a carbon copy of the Abamyang goal, right? Uh, imagine at the other end. Um, Pickford sees that Louise ball and goes, no, nope, I'm out. I'm after this and sees it coming. Um, you know, it, it, it's similar. And it's one of those ones where if you get it wrong, you look really, really stupid. Um, but he didn't. He, he anticipated it. He saw what was unfolding. 
Um, and and it's and it's I, I thought that was possibly his best intervention of the game. But but generally, like things like his handling and all of that were all really good um, as well. I like you. I I'm not sure i'm sold on the idea yet that he you know ever be like the best goalkeeper in the league or anything like that um I, i'd be interested to see what happens if we start controlling games a bit more and and he becomes one of those keepers that's not engaged as much as he's had to be um in his arsenal career so far but um you know we, we just don't have any evidence either way there yeah i i think you're right i, I think for the money we paid um as well e- even if you know, we're being super harsh and just go, right, in a year's time, you know, we're back in the Champions League or whatever and we've got loftier ambitions and we go, do you know what, we're going to move on. Like, that's still a good signing um, because if we get, even if, uh, and I don't think this will happen, but even if we only get two or three good seasons out of him and then we go, do you know what, we're going to go in another direction now, That that's still a good signing and that's still money well spent. And if we did that, I'm sure we'd get more than we paid for him as well. So, um, yeah, that's all you can really ask. And, um, I mean, the, the Arsenal player of the season question, really, if you wanted to make it an interesting discussion, you'd say apart from Aubameyang. And if you do the apart from Aubameyang thing, then, then Bern Leno's right up there. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, I have always said this about goalkeepers. I just don't want them to lose me a game. You know, they don't yeah, have yeah. to be, you know, like De Gea in his pump. I mean, do, does that, can that win you games? Of yeah, course yeah. it can. You Ideally, you'd like to have it. But my biggest thing that I... I I hated about the Almunia era was like, I felt that Almunia lost us games that, you, you know, I know a lot of people liked him. Nice guy, yada, yada, but like he lost us games. And, you know, I, I feel that we've had keepers, several different keepers that lost us games. And I don't, other than the Chelsea game where I think he costs us that game. And it's a shame because it's really his first big error of his Arsenal career that comes to mind. And it, it, it changes the whole complexion of our season. But by and large, I think he has won us some games, but he doesn't lose us games, and I, I will take that. Um, mm. You know, the other thing I will say is, I thought when we first started playing out from the back under Emery, it didn't look great, and he didn't look super comfortable doing it. I think he looks a lot more comfortable with the ball at his feet now, passing out from the back. So I think that's something the modern keeper has to be able to do. He's still not a good long distributor of the ball, but I think playing out from the back, he looks a lot more comfortable than he did, and that's really important in modern football. So, Clive, I mean, we do see this out. And at full time, you saw how much it meant. Um, you know, I mean, the, the players are putting in the work. Arteta is asking them to put in the work. He's not necessarily picking the big names every game. There doesn't seem to be an issue with camaraderie. Everybody seemed to be celebrating the win. Um, you could see what it meant. I mean, I think they were just trying to get through it at the end. Um, and And I think there may be no bigger sign that Arteta knows what he's doing than that the players really do seem to have bought into it despite how much he's asking of them and the fact that he's not always just picking the big names and worrying about the egos. So do you think the reaction at full time and, and sort of the camaraderie you see in, in the squad around the win is yet another sign that Arteta really does know what he's doing? Oh, he, he knows what he's doing. I think James made a great point today. He's, he sort of said, you know, if they've been away to Dubai and they had they had these three games ahead of them, and they would they would have wanted three wins, and it just felt like they ticked something off on the spreadsheet. It was done, three wins, and it's going to be hard. Everton have been sitting at home watching the EastEnders for a couple of weeks, and basically they were rested, fresh, powerful, you know, really powerful, particularly in the later stage of the game. 
And it was just a fight and a battle. And anything we said in this podcast should be caveated by the fact we had that European away trip and had to come back into this game. Glad it was a home game. Glad it was an afternoon kickoff, unlike Spurs on Saturday morning, which I thought was very harsh on them, even though they're our enemies. I thought it was very harsh. And having that extra few hours for us, give us a bit more time to recover. And basically, I, I just thought, you know, I, I don't almost, everything we said, has to be put into that context. I just thought it was a tremendous spirit raiser for everybody. I really enjoyed it. I'm starting to enjoy it again now. I really am. Just just the collectiveness of it all. I'm just starting to enjoy it. Well, I'm and the spectacle, by the way. I'm sorry to, yeah. to interrupt, but just real quick, Clive, like, I wasn't enjoying... Watching Arsenal sucked earlier this season. Like, it just wasn't fun to watch football anymore. You know? I mean, that, yeah. that's important. <laughs> It is, it is important, and you know, well, we're all football geeks, right? So we can always find something to like because we enjoy even the things that are not so good. We can analyze it, etc. And but just a general feeling of you know, of supporting something again that you feel is going in the right direction. It just makes life a lot better for for everybody. It just feels like we're progressing, and just and to see a you know group of men just buy into this and start to reconnect back to the fan base because that's what it's all about. This is a football club, right? And it, we need the players, we need the club, we need the fans all to be reconnected. And that's happening and that just makes everything feel good. So when you do see mistakes happen but people react to really, really well, suddenly all the rubbish and anger towards certain players, you know, Shaka and Mustafi and, and all of this... Is he good enough? Should he stay? Should we sell? It all feels like rubbish now. Because you know, now we're talking about football, how good it feels, collectiveness. Everyone's got a clean sheet of paper. Everyone's reacting appropriately. If someone doesn't react, a message comes out, he's been disciplined, then he has to react well. You know, And it's like, there's no favourites. There's no anything. We're all in this together. And... Let's just see, you know, when I say non-negotiables, I really mean it, right? And the million and the standards we set, we own we own those standards. That involves hard work, that involves good play, pattern play, good positioning. Don't expose your teammates. Make sure there are triangles for every person in possession. All these fundamentals have been put in place and it's just manifesting itself into 60 million performances at the moment, 60, 70 million performances. There's a 90 minute around the corner, uh, a big one, and I can't wait for it. You know, a really big one. You know, and then when that comes, then I think the belief will be total. There, there are probably still a few that question the major. And Sunday was a real eye test for the two majors facing off to each other. Some mm. people may have wanted Ancelotti. I'm happy with the with the younger guy and potential ceiling that I'm just not aware of. I, I'm happy with that, and I think we definitely made the right choice. Well, especially, I mean, the one thing I will say, Clive, even if you think Ancelotti at this stage of his career is still somehow the superior coach to Arteta, which, by the way, I'm not saying that's an unreasonable position. We don't really know what Arteta is yet. We're all learning about it. But, like, Ancelotti is not someone you hire to be a long-term, a part of a long-term project for a club. And I think given the stage of where we are in our development, it feels like we can really sort of, I hate to be cliche, but go on a journey with Arteta together. And that's... um you know, I think that's exciting, and it gives us all a little bit more of that ceiling that you're talking about. I think, Tim, we're in sort of a weird position now, though. So you can't help but look at the table. First of all, I mean, 
you wonder will fifth place get a, a CL spot. Like I don't know that you can rely on that because I think the lawyers will get involved and potentially be able to delay that ruling beyond the start of next season. But there is the possibility that fifth will be a CL spot and, and fourth certainly will be. And that's a seven point gap. Um, I think it's probably a little fanciful to think that we would overtake that given the number of teams we have to jump over to do so. But it's certainly back on to a level where you can't just say we're chucking the league and we're going for the Europa League, which maybe just a couple of weeks ago would have been the strategy. And if you look at the way the teams are selected, he's rotated. He's tried to prioritize both, but I don't think you'd say he's put out a first choice 11 in the league, you know, per se in the last couple of games. Um, Do you think now he's in sort of a tough situation where maybe the league has come back into being a priority in a way that has to influence and, and potentially change his plans for how to set up the team from midweek to weekend? No, I, I think it's, but I think it's much better this way. Um, so I think we can overthink these, <laughs> these things. Is it um, good to still have a league season to care about? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, ultimately, right. Players and managers, they, they don't want dead games. They don't want yeah. that. Um, I was, um, <clears throat> So, I, I mean, I, I've been at uh, London Colney today and, and talking to Jordan Nobbs again, and, and this question came up about, like, uh, the schedules getting bigger for, for women's football and all of that. And, you know, and she was like, yeah, but that's great. I'm a football player <laughs> and I want to play football. Like, it's not, you know, it's it, that's not a problem for me was basically the message. And 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 I think there's something in that that, that players and managers, they want every game to be competitive. And, and I, th- I think it helps them anyway. Um, I, th- I think that would, I think Arteta will find that helpful um, just to get that momentum and galvanize people. And like you said, we're trying to go on a journey with him here. He's, you know, he's, he can't relax and think he's got the total buy-in of the players. There's, there's good evidence there that he has it, um, but he could lose it quickly. And I think if you've got like a sea of dead rubber games, I think it's more difficult to do that. I think also there's an important point here that we actually have a big squad. Um, I think this has gone quite unremarked on. Look at who didn't make the 18 uh, this weekend. Joe Willock didn't make it. Gabriel Martinelli didn't make it. Ainsley Maitland-Niles didn't make it. We've got Suarez and Pablo Mari who aren't fit yet. We've got Kieran Tierney started uh started full training um and the the prognosis was always march for him we we've got quite a big squad and what we don't have anymore um is this kind of this thing we had at the end of the Wenger era where we had like Wilshire and Coquelin and Giroud and Walcott and these kind of players who were on the way out and and Debushi and like guys who were Murta Saka was at the end. You know, we had like a very definite second eleven and El Nenny and you know mm. I'm not gonna reel them all off now. But we don't really have that anymore. I think there's a, a bigger democracy there and there's the potential for gentle rotation there. So we don't have to make eight, nine changes. We can just make two or three every game, Kalasanach in you know, for example, Enketia in, Martinelli, you know, sit Martinelli out for one game, bring him in for another. I, th- I think there's there's a lot of potential there for, for squad management and the, the size of the squad is such, like even at centre-half now, because Mustafi is now not just considered part of the squad, part of the starting eleven for the moment, we're really, really well stacked um, at centre-back. Like once Pablo Mari is considered fit enough, 
um, you know, there's there's another option in there um, that we can bring in and we can probably like not worry about Rob Holding. So we've gone from perhaps a month ago thinking, Christ, we're all out of centre backs. And now things have just calmed down a little bit in that respect. And even when we're picking up injuries, you know, Kalasanac is injured. Well, we've got Saka and Tierney's going to be back in a couple of weeks. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's it's for the best this way. And if Arteta's really trying to sell his his projects to his players and his fans, having something, I, I think it's the ideal situation, right? Because in the league, he's got something to go for, but he's not going to be enormously judged if he doesn't get it. Because just the it's just the fact that we're in with even a squeak or a shout is is you know is galvanising because a lot of us had given up on the idea that there was anything left in this Premier League season. So, you know, he, I think he's almost got the ideal scenario in that there's still something to go for, but it's it's almost a free swing. Well, no, it's not almost. It is. It's a total free swing. Um, and and I, think that, I think that's something that's hugely helpful for him. And I think it would have been bad if we'd fallen into this kind of, well, the Premier League season's a write-off. We're going to finish 10th. So fuck it, let's go for the Europa League. I don't think that works. Mm. I, I really, really don't. I don't think it works. I don't think it works when you get into a situation where you're only going for one competition. I just, I struggle to think of examples um, from any team, let alone Arsenal, where, where that's really, really worked. Um, you know, there might be a few, um, but I, I don't think that's ever been the reason someone's got their target. I don't think anyone's ever thought, oh, thank, thank God, like we had all these dead rubbers um, just to play like our second 11. And, and the other thing that happens then is you lose a bit of that democracy that Arteta is trying to bring in. Because if you have clear priorities or sorry, you clearly deprioritize something, then those players who come into that second 11, they kind of, this is what happened in Wenger's last year, right? They, yep, they know, mm-hmm. They know they're out to pasture. And what he wants at the moment is Ceballos, couple of weeks, you're out. No, actually, you're training really well. You're in again. You know, he wants to keep this kind of culture going. So I, I think it's a really good thing for him. Yeah, and not to go all small club mentality, but like even if maybe fourth is beyond our reach, finishing above Spurs looks really doable. Three points ahead of us um, in, you know, in a bit of a free fall, maybe coming now with Kane and Son both injured. I think it could be tough for them, and, and I'm not saying finishing above Tottenham should be what a club of our size aspires to, but it would be a nice little fillip for us uh, in the league season, and something that I think, again, would just buoy the fans and feel good about what Arteta is achieving, and and that certainly is achievable. Um, you know, we, we get lucky, too. What's interesting, you guys, is the FA Cup has sort of saved us here in a way, because we've got a second leg against Olympiacos on Thursday, and then it would have been Manchester City away, but instead it's Portsmouth away on Monday. Um before West Ham at home, Brighton away. Uh, so we've got a really interesting opportunity here if we want to go strong in the second leg of the Europa League to to be really careful and really safe about it. We've got a perfect opportunity to then rotate heavily away to Portsmouth on Monday before playing home to West Ham. So I, I do think we got a little lucky with the schedule. One last thing, Clive, that I think is sort of sort of tickling my brain a little bit with respect to the squad, is just the importance that Ceballos seems to be showing now and the way that he and Shaka sort of work as a pair and, and Ceballos is progressing the ball well and, and bringing Ozil into play well. And while I still have tons of faith in my large adult son, Matteo Ganduzzi, um, Ceballos is 
importance now does raise the issue that we probably thought was a non-issue just a few months ago, which is, could he potentially have a future at the club? His his involvement now and his importance now and his centrality to what we're doing does sort of bring this question back into focus. Do you have any thoughts on relying on a player whose long-term future at the club is suspect and whether you think we might wind up trying to uh, bring him to Arsenal in the summer? I I think he's been interesting how he's particularly at home how he's how he's been used, but I thought he did way at, at Olympiacos. I thought he did really well then as well, to be honest. And he just seems to be different. His body language he's been much sharper and much more engaged. And he's a good footballer. You know, let's not mess about. He got signed for Real Madrid. He's in the Spanish team or has been in the Spanish team this season. So we're not talking about a bad footballer. I think his weaknesses were massively exposed with our with our massive distances during that phase when we were just running up and down the pitch. Like well, he's not a ten, right? Runs. I mean, that that role was wrong for him. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if it, when I say he's not a ten, I just think he's a midfield player that works better when the spaces are smaller. Yeah, and and he, and he does it. He can he can do it high. He can do it deeper. But the most important thing is, it needs to be a smaller distance. I want to really encourage, there was a tackle he made in middle of midfield when they were breaking and he stood there and he squared up and, and as soon as they put their head down to touch the ball, he stepped forward and snuck the ball away, Bobby Moore style. And, and basically, it was brilliant. He, just, he knew that he couldn't go into a running race, so he had to square up and take him on early and wait for him to lose concentration. And he stepped forward and took the ball. And, and that is a player that knows his limits, knows what he's good at. I, I, have, I have to say, he's given us a level of assuredness on the ball because although Ozil's playing quite well at the moment, you can see his physical limits and you can see when he disappears, we can lose that control. And we have got a lot of good forward players and our ability to find them is really important. And we know Shaka can do it, but we do need somebody else. So I still feel we have a, a group of good midfield players don't quite do all of the things. So Sobias is nice and neat, but I wish he was a two steps faster because then that question, I, mean, I would answer it and say we probably would have put a bid in for him already. Do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think we just need that two-way aggressiveness against the very best teams. Now, it's been it's been Newcastle and Everton. I think Everton are a decent side, but in central midfield, they had Delph, they had Sigurdsson, you know, they had Snydlin. They're all right. They're, they're they're getting loads of wages, by the way, and loads of transfer fees in there. But they're not they're not the best. You know, we we got to start judging this team soon. Not yet, because he's just putting the building blocks in place and recovering the club. But we're gonna have to judge this team about you know playing against you know Silva, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, you know Henderson, Firmino in that in rounding your area. We need to get to those levels. Spurs have got some nice pieces at the moment. Chelsea got some nice midfield pieces. And then we that's when we can judge people like Tobias and judge these players. I almost I always wish away the summer, but I really, really am wishing the way to the summer to see what we do in the next level, to see who stays, to see who goes, to see where the actual ceiling is. And in the last few weeks, they've showed me more than I expected. I didn't expect it to feel this good with the same group of players. I did not expect the brain, did not expect the shape. You know, he's just been a coaching masterclass, really, and what he's, what he's got out of this group so far. Yeah, and I mean, I bet you didn't expect that two of the important pieces to the Arteta Renaissance would be Mustafi and Shaka, but there you have it. So, yeah. I do think Shaka is the tactical leader of this team. 
Mm. And he was he is the true captain of this team, although Aubameyang played like a, a captain. We, Tactically, he's absolutely in charge on the pitch. You know absolutely. What's, what's really interesting about that, Clive? I think about Emery and, and the reason he got the job, supposedly, you know, he had this dossier on all the players and a plan for every single player. And what became pretty clear is he didn't have a plan. He didn't have a plan for most of the players. Whereas Arteta, ironically, he really clearly, if there's one player he very, very clearly had a plan for, it was Granit Xhaka. To drop into that, you know, line of three in the first phase of buildup and use him to see more of the pitch and be able to distribute long and, and keep the game in front of him. And it, you know, Shaka is a player who has limitations, and I think that Arteta clearly understood how to hide some of those limitations and get the most out of him. So he deserves a lot of credit for that, and the player does too for rising to the challenge. So I, I think we can leave it there. We've got a, a game midweek that is an important one, but we put ourselves in a good position there too. So hopefully, um, not a lot of drama on Thursday. We'll have a Patreon pod tomorrow and then um, a post-match pod on Thursday and possibly a live show uh, Thursday as well uh, in association with the game. So more details on that as we think of them. In any event, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure <laughs> is what he would say if he was not muted. Um, I'll come back to you. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PhD. My pleasure Thanks, as always. Uh, there Sorry. it is. My, my pleasure as always. That's the one. There it is. Uh, my mistake. How could I get that wrong after all this time? Clive's on Twitter at Clive PhD. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, my name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I apologize for coming back to host the pod, but I assure you... Um, you're stuck with me because I'm going to keep doing it. And uh, thank you again you. to Paul. Oh, that's kind of you to say. Uh, well, look, I'm, I'm working my way back into form. There were, there were some disciplinary off-the-pitch issues, and uh, you know I don't want to get into what it was, but I think it's behind us now, and, and hopefully we can all go forward together as a team to achieve our goals. And one of those goals is to talk to you after Arsenal 10, Olympiacos New. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.